This is power. But listen, as great and as mighty, think about this, as great and as mighty as these powerful miracles are, the creation of the world and everything else, we're not talking about the power of God unto creation this, this afternoon. We're not talking about the power of God unto miracles. We're talking about the power of God unto salvation. Well, good afternoon. It's a pleasure for me to be here, this time with my family. The last couple of times they weren't able to come. So we're all here now. By the grace of God, those of us who are here, by God's grace and providence, he brought us here. And um, I know that um, today we're supposed to leave by 4.30, so I'm going to go ahead and instead of preaching my, my whole manuscript, all of this, I'm just going to cut it down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was never the plan. But um, we'll be in Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17 today. So if you would go there. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I've entitled the message, The Gospel. Not manpower, but God power. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father God, I do thank you for this group here. I thank you that You've united us here this, this afternoon. Lord, I, we entrust ourselves to you, Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord, you spoke, and by your will, all things are. And so here we are right now today. We pray, Lord, that your word would affect us, Lord, both in our mind and in our hearts, that we would be able to understand, believe, and live out the truth that you have in your word, Lord, for us today, that your word would not come back void and empty, but it will accomplish its purpose. And we thank you for that now. I, I thank you and I ask you, Lord, to help us. Help me, humble me, guide my tongue, Lord, to, to say what you would have, Lord, and weed out the things that you would not have. Please help us now. In the name of your Son, amen. The gospel, not manpower, but God power. So I got a hypothetical situation here, okay? I don't know how many of you all um, are fans or have been fans of drag racing, car racing, street racing. But envision with me a drag race, a, a, a car race, a street race. How would you envision the lineup to look like? Okay, so you're likely envisioning the nice painted sport car, right? The, the neon lights, maybe the, the nice spinning rims or whatever else. Right? So let's say you go through the lineup, and then one car out of all the, say, 20 cars is very different. Right? It's, 
it's, it's not like what you would envision. It's got dents everywhere and needs a total, complete paint job. And then you look into the window of the car and you see me in the driver's seat. And you're thinking to yourself, what is he doing here? You don't belong here. This car doesn't belong here. So you knock on the window and you ask, what are you doing here? And I confidently say, I'm going to race. I'm in this race. And then <laughs> you realize this guy's delusional here, right? What is he doing? Well, let me ask a question. Is there anything that can radically cause you to have a change of mind about your reaction to seeing this whole thing? I submit to you there is something in the, equivalent, in the equation, and that is the word power, horsepower, right? Imagine with me, you're able to pop open the hood, and then you see, hypothetically again, like 10 times more the horsepower compared to any other car there. Now, things have radically changed, right? You go from being nervous for me, timid, fearful, everything changes, right? You go from that to being confident for me. You go from being ashamed for me to being confident, bold, and unapologetically unashamed. The gospel is what we have here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. What Paul wants to highlight is the gospel. Again, not manpower, but God power. In other words, we all need to understand that the source of the power is in God. It's not in man. And the question that I want to permeate throughout the message is this. Do you, this afternoon, depend, rest, have your confidence and reliance on the power of God unto salvation, or the only other thing is the power of man unto damnation? So the power of God unto salvation, or the power of man unto damnation? So in verses 16 and 17, Paul lays out his thesis for this massive, weighty book of Romans. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through uh, in great extent on the context. But what I do want to say in the verses prior to verses 16 and 17, Paul in verses 14 through 15, or 13 to 14, 15, he's giving us the reason why he was unable to make it to Rome. And so what he wants to say right off the bat in verse 16 is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't able to make it through, due to physical circumstances that hindered him. Nevertheless, he is not ashamed. So diving in right off the bat, my first point, the Christian's disposition toward the gospel. What is the, Christian, the Christian's disposition toward the gospel? What does he say there? For I am not ashamed. That's the Christian's disposition toward the gospel. I am not ashamed. Now, it might sound very uh, clear as it is, not much more to add, but notice that I'm not talking about 
every person. I, I, I said the Christian's disposition. This is not the case for the unbeliever, right? The, the one who has the natural eye. To the natural eye, the gospel that we're beholding here appears weak. It appears foolish. It appears shameful, right? To the average eye, to the natural eye, that's what the gospel is. It's foolishness. And I'm not just saying that. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, therefore, the word of the cross is folly, foolish, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, isn't it true we get tempted to be ashamed about things that are weak, right? Who in here gets tempted to be ashamed about something that is clearly powerful, mighty, strong? Nobody, right? Nobody gets tempted to be ashamed about that. Again, if you only look at the exterior of the junk-looking car, what's going to happen if you only look to the exterior and you don't pop open the hood? You're going to be tempted to be ashamed, right? Ashamed for me. But when you perceive the horsepower, all of that changes. 180-degree difference, right? It all changes. You go, again, from being timid, hesitant, fearful, ashamed, to being eager, confident, bold, and unapologetically unashamed. When this disposition takes over the Christian, you and I, every single person who, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, when this disposition takes over you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel will be preached and communicated in light of that boldly, even despite the things that come our way, like persecution and different problems that happen. And we see that in the book of Acts. I believe my brother had been preaching through the book of Acts, and we see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. It says there, And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is their prayer, right? And look at what happens in the very next chapter, in chapter 5. There, they weren't only threatened, they were actually beaten. Look at what it says. I'm just going to read it. And when they had called in the, the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. When they left the presence of the council... Uh, excuse me, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. So despite the circumstances, despite this persecution, nevertheless, they went forward bold and unashamed of the gospel despite the circumstances. But let's ask the question. Let's, let's jump back for a moment and zoom out and ask this question. Why? Why were the apostles so unashamed? Why is Paul unashamed? Why should we be unashamed? And here's the answer. It's because the apostle, and it's because Paul himself, here in this letter, he is convinced that the gospel which he proclaimed is full of power. Not partially, not almost to the full, no, totally full of power, which is why he was unashamed. And so my question now is, whose power is this? So my second point, whose power is unleashed? And we've already said very clearly, it is God's power. It's not man-engineered power like the car, like the very fancy car with tons of 
force power. No, this is God's eternal power that we're speaking about here. It is the power of God unto salvation. So let's ask a question here. Power brings us confidence, right? But what is it about power that brings us confidence? What is it about power that transforms our thinking and what we feel from being timid, fearful, afraid, ashamed, to bold, confident, and unapologetically, unapologetically unashamed? What is it about power that produces this? Well, power has the ability to produce something, to move something, to change something that otherwise would not be produced, would not be moved, and would not be changed. Without power, none of that will happen. And think about this. Men, talking about the comparison of God power and man power, right? Men do not have the power to change anything in the spiritual realm. In and of ourselves, we are totally powerless to do anything. Zero power. What did Jesus say? He said, without me, you can do something, but not a lot. No, he said, without me, you can do Nothing. There is not one thing that you and I could do in the spiritual realm. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, he says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil. So if you can change the physical, just the external of an animal, then you can change the internal of a man. But you can't. You can't do that, right? We don't have the power to change anything. We don't have the power to save anyone in and of ourselves. But guess what? We can lay hold of the God who has infinite power to save everyone. That's the God that we are submitting to and trying to grab hold of. So let's consider more of the power of God. Where do we see the power of God, the evidence of the power of God? Well, one example is through creation. If you're in Romans chapter 1, you could just look down to verse 18. It says there, I'm just going to skip to 19. For what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Notice verse 20, his eternal power, power through the things that have been made. Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I, and we can see this from Genesis to Revelation, about the power of God in creation. But one more. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals and all that are on the earth. He is the one who created all things, and this testifies of his power. He spoke the universe and everything, he spoke it, and everything came to be. I've recently been going through a book, um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and he just talks about, just get this, they are estimating that there are as many stars in the sky, in the galaxy, as there are grain of sands in the universe, and not only that, each star, one from the other, the average distance is about 30 trillion miles away. 
God spoke. This is just one of the plethora of things all, across, all around the created universe that God spoke. And it is, right? He spoke in the universe and everything that is, is. That is power. Not only that, he sustains the universe by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Right? If he didn't, everything would collapse on itself. Well, what's another way that power is displayed? Another way is through miracles. The word miracle, in our English Bible, it's, it's translated miracle, but in the Greek, it's dunamis. Okay, so let me, let me give you an example of this word dunamis, power. Um, power is uh, dunamis is the word power, which is also translated miracle. So, for instance, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. It says there, Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many mighty miracles? That's the word powers, dunamis. Okay? Okay, so then, during Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated the power of God through miracles that he performed. Okay, he casted out demons. I'm just going to name a few. Raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, turned water to wine, fed multitudes with five loaves and two fish, stopped the winds and the waves with the word, walked on water, healed lepers, paralytics, mutes, and cripples. And let's not forget what happened after three days. He himself resurrected, right? That is power, powerful. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is powerful. His great power in creating the universe, in sustaining the universe, in the miracles that Christ made, in Christ himself resurrecting. This is power, but listen, as great and as mighty, think about this, as great and as mighty as these pow powerful miracles are, the creation of the world and everything else, we're not talking about the power of God unto creation this, this afternoon. We're not talking about the power of God unto miracles. We're talking about the power of God unto salvation. And so as great and as mighty as these evidences of power are, it's nothing compared to this power of salvation. All the other works and evidences of power are demonstrated, are, are, are here to point us to the ultimate power in saving a sinner. All other demonstrations of the power of God pales in comparison to his power to save. And the central display of his power is found, namely, in the salvation of sinners. And that, that statement right there should be shocking to each and every one of us. It should be shocking. Why? Why should it be so shocking? Because if hypothetically you were there in the beginning... When God spoke, right? God spoke. The, 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 the small little detail of what I said about the stars is nothing, right? God speaks, and everything around us existed. And we were able to somehow, some way, see that. You would not think that there's anything more powerful than that. 
Nothing could be more powerful than that, you would think. But no. Psalm 106, 8. Yet he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make, make known his mighty power. This is, this is his salvation. He's displaying his power primarily in saving sinners. So the example of the miracles that he worked and everything else, again, was to display the ultimate, to point to the ultimate uh, display of power, which is the salvation of sinners. And many people in this day and age, well, all throughout history, really, deny the power of God unto salvation by minimizing what actually takes place in salvation. So one of the ways that they do that, one of the messages that you, basic, that you hear is basically this. Add a little bit of Jesus into your life. Just go ahead and sprinkle in some good religious morals, some, some, some behavior modifications into your life, right? And, and, and then add a little bit of Christianese, and you're going to be a better person and, and good with God, right? That's, that's what a lot of people say. So go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, and what do we see? If any man be in Christ, he's a better person with better morals, adding a little bit of behavior modification to his life, right? No, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. God makes all things new. This is what happens in salvation. And so, 2 Corinthians, I just want to quote 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about what this verse is saying. It is comparing the creation of the universe, creation of everything, with the recreation of the sinner. He, look at what he says there. Let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the gospel, the knowledge of Christ. In our hearts, the heart of the sinner. So understanding this reality of what happens in salvation flies in the face of this cheap Grace, that salvation is basically a mere decision that a sinner makes in order to change over a new leaf and make better decisions. That is not the salvation of God. The salvation of God testifies to the power of God. If that was the case, that salvation was just a mere decision to change over, to do a few things differently, that would be a demonstration of power, but it would be a demonstration of the power of man. That would not be a demonstration of the power of God. So again, do you this afternoon, again, I want to permeate this question. Do you depend, rely, have your confidence in the power of man unto damnation or the power of God unto salvation? Those are our options here today. If the gospel was the power of man unto salvation, like the example that I just said, and I know that there's many others, but if the gospel was the power of man unto salvation, that would be a good reason for Paul, for the apostles, and for each and every one of us sitting here today to be ashamed of the gospel. If the gospel was the power of man unto salvation, you should be ashamed today. But guess what? <laughs> 
The gospel is not the power of man into salvation. The gospel is the power of God into salvation, and therefore none of us should be ashamed if we are confident in believing in this gospel. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Again, it was the creative power of God who spoke light into darkness. There was a void And God spoke light into the void. He spoke something into the void. And in our hearts, there wasn't merely only just a void. We weren't just void. We were antagonistic to the gospel. We were hostile to the gospel. Romans chapter 8 says, right? We hated the light. We loved the darkness. We were at enmity with God, James 4, 4. Every one of us in our heart of hearts wanted to dethrone God and place ourselves on that throne. Every single one of us. We all went astray going our own way. There wasn't just a void. (laughs) It wasn't just that we were indifferent. No. Everything in us wanted to go the opposite way. Every one of us, left up to ourselves, we would have never, ever, ever turned to God. None of us would. We would have continued on our path. But he spoke life into our dead state, dead, dry bones. He spoke life. That is the power of God. And it could not be any other power, and therefore Paul is not ashamed. Now, could we as Christians be tempted to become ashamed? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Not only tempted, but Christians can fall into the temptation. How is it possible? Well, here's one way. Going back to the junk-looking car. Everybody track with me with the junk-looking car and the sports cars and everything like that. Okay, the junk-looking car. People who see the car, the external car with the dents and the paint job needed and everything else, they will be ashamed if they only see the external and don't know what's in it. Now, if you get consumed as a Christian with the fear of man and what men, what people think, you get so consumed with what they think about the car, then you may forget what's under the hood, right? But what's under the hood will be under the hood, whether you forget it or not, whether the world sees it or not. The world is going to laugh, they're going to mock, they're going to carry on, but let them. Because remind yourself, you know what's under the hood, right? If you know what's under the hood, let them laugh, let them mock. We know what's under the hood and it's going to be there whether the world recognizes it or not. There, it might be veiled, it is veiled to them. But whether it's veiled to them or not, there is power, right? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. There is power. Remind yourself of the power. Remind yourself of what is unleashed in the gospel. And people who are ultimately ashamed, I'm not talking about temporarily fall into a temptation of being ashamed for a moment. I'm saying those who are ultimately ashamed of the gospel, if they don't understand 
the power of God in the gospel. And it's because they themselves have never experienced the power of God into salvation. And those who are ashamed are the ones who compromise and tamper with the message of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So my next point, what is it that unleashes the power? Are you ready? It's the gospel. The gospel, super insightful, right? No, it says it right there. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power. Not one of many to choose from. You can't pick and choose this or that and leave this out and put this in. No. It's the gospel that is the power unto salvation. Therefore, we need to have a good understanding of what the gospel is. And our brother did have a good explanation to the kids on the gospel. Here's an element, another element to the gospel. Eon helion. That's what this translates into good tidings, good news. It's the good news for man that is centered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? Who he is and what he accomplished for mankind to solve our ultimate problem, which is what our brother talked about here in the mediator. Our ultimate problem is not what we've done against man, just them. Like we have an earthly consequence now to face, like like the war that we're talking that we've been talking about. No, this is a problem ultimately to God. This is our dilemma. We need to be reconciled to Him. So how do we receive the good news? What is this good news? Was the person and the work of Jesus Christ? How He solves the ultimate dilemma. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, proved that he was God in the flesh, that he defeated death, and that he paid sin's debt by resurrecting after three days. And the Bible says, I don't say this, the Bible says that proclaiming this message, not suggesting it as an option for you to consider out of many others, no, proclaiming this message is the power of God unto salvation. This is what unleashes this power. Don't forget that the power is in the message. Don't believe that you can add something to this power, maybe with your smooth talk, maybe with your arguments, with your apologetics, the right ones at the right time, or becoming so focused on proving the unbeliever wrong instead of proclaiming the gospel. Many can fall into that. When we do that, the cross is emptied of its power because the message is a reliance on the power of man, not the power of God. We don't want to fall into that. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 says. Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see that? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. So that, here it is, this is key. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. See there? The wisdom of man 
the power of God. Again, the question, do you rest on the power of God unto salvation this afternoon or the power of man unto damnation? It's one or the other, right? Those are your options. Your charisma is not the power of God unto salvation. Eloquent words, persuasiveness, smooth talk, lofty speech, wisdom, apologetics, that's not the power of God unto salvation. Smiles, hugs, being relevant, that's not the power of God unto salvation. Health, wealth, happiness, prosperity, that's not the power of God unto salvation. Different social justice work, that's not the power of God unto salvation. How about preaching pro-life in the abortion clinics? That's not the power of God unto salvation. Many, many Catholics, many Mormons, many people do that. That's not the power of God unto salvation. What about preaching social reforms? Not the power of God unto salvation. Multitudes of people are involved with all these things. Social justice, race equality, right-wing conservative Republican politics and policies. It's not the power of God unto salvation. What does it say there? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I listed a lot of things there. I'm not saying that an individual Christian cannot or should not be involved with any of the things listed there. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again, this all goes back to the question, do you rely on the power of God or on the power of man? While his power may appear weak, it actually does appear weak. It, they're convinced that it's weak. It's weaker than any junk-looking car that you can imagine. That's what they see in their eyes. While that's true, that that's how they perceive it, it is actually infinitely more powerful than anything you can think or imagine. My next point, who is the power unleashed to? Who is it unleashed to? Are you ready for this? To everyone, to everyone who believes. <coughs> Consider the first, the word Everyone, This should jump out to us. This may not be considered anything special in our day and age here in America. Nothing special at all. We all hear John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Everyone, right? And so we all are already accustomed and used to this. The universal call of the gospel. But we can't be so desensitized to it. We can't just become numb to it. We can't be so used to it. We need to recognize why this should jump out to us. We should rejoice that the Bible, our verse here says everyone. Because before Jesus, everyone other than the Jews had always been by and large in total darkness and ignorant to God's word and truth. There are many places that teach this. I'm just going to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, so I think that's basically everyone here, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, see that? No hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See why this should jump out to us? Because without the everyone, we would be with no hope. See? The gospel call is universal. Our verse here says everyone who believes. There are no group, no ethnic group that's excluded. No one, neither Jew or Gentile, black or white, young or old, rich or poor, anyone, everyone is invited and nobody is excluded. That is a reason to rejoice. Whoever believes, anyone and everyone who believes will experience the power of God unto salvation. The next part, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if your children are like my children, hear this a lot. Why them over there? Why, why her? Why, why, why can't I have that? Why can't I be first? Right? This is the natural tendency of man. And we see that in our children. Maybe some of us have been a little bit uh, more disciplined um, in time and age and maturity, and so it's not seen as visibly, but this is how the nat- natural man is. Why them first and not me? Well, let's just read Acts 13, verse 45. I'm going to read it. You could jot it down if you want. Okay, it says there, But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Uh, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen to verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they said, Why did the Jews get preached to first and then us? Why? That's not fair. Is that what they said? That's what our children might say, but that's not what they said. What did they say? They said this. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, they rejoiced. They were not upset and bent out of shape because the Jews were preached to first and then they were preached to. No, they were rejoicing and overwhelmed with thanksgiving that they were preached to at all. See the difference there? Because they understood the reality of what they deserved. They were preached to anyone, everyone who believes. Fifth point, how is the power unleashed? I'm going through these point after point. I know that um, we have to be out of here at 4.30, but fifth point, 
How is the power unleashed? What is the means by which the power is unleashed? The means is through believing. It's faith, trusting, putting all your reliance and confidence in what? In the gospel, which is, again, what I've said, what God has accomplished to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But it's not faith in your faith. We hear that a lot, right? As long as you just have faith, faith in what? What they mean is just faith in your faith. Faith in your faith is the power of man unto salvation. Your faith in and of itself is not the power of God unto salvation, but your faith is the channel. It's the instrument by which it connects us to the power of God unto salvation. You can have all the faith in the world, but if your faith is not in the gospel, it is useless. It is powerless. Let me illustrate this. You might have read this in a book if you read Justification and Regeneration. But he said this. Two men are each trying to cross a bridge. The first man is full of confidence. He doesn't hesitate for a moment. Boldly, he just walks. And the problem is that this bridge is faulty. It's got material that is rotten. And then he plummets to his death. Right? That's the first man, full of confidence, doesn't hesitate for a moment. The second man, trembling, walking slowly, he takes one step after one step. He doesn't seem to have as much faith, but all the faith that he does have is in this bridge. He goes all in. And he eventually crosses the bridge. Why? Because this bridge was not faulty. This bridge was firm. The material was sound. And he crossed the bridge. And so, this man crosses the bridge. Why? Because his faith and his confidence was in the solid rock. Jesus Christ, he is faithful. He will bring us through. And not only that, he will increase our faith. But we have to be all in. We have to be trusting only in him. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Verse 17, for in it, again, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness. John, listen to John 16, 8. The Spirit is coming into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're preaching the gospel, right? We want to communicate the gospel to people, right? Why? Because we want people to be saved. We have a love for God and we have a love for people. We want people to be saved. So in doing that, how can they believe if they don't have anybody preaching? If they don't hear the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ, right? If they don't hear it, they can't believe it. And so we want to preach the gospel to people, The gospel that you preach better hit on these elements here that we just read about. What did we read about? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. If your gospel is void of these things, then it's not the gospel. Joel Olstein and many others, they might actually boast and be proud of the fact that they don't talk about sin, righteousness, or judgment. Joe Olstein and whoever else proclaiming that kind of message should be ashamed. 
They should be utterly ashamed because that's the power of man. There's no power in that message. And that's the power of man unto damnation. Righteousness. So what we see here in verse 17 talks about righteousness. What, what is the primary fundamental thing that we need to know about righteousness? Is that we don't have any inherent righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6. It says there all our righteous deeds are as polluted garments. Philippians 3, 9. And may be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We need his righteousness. And anyone and everyone who experiences the power of God unto salvation is a possessor of, get this, perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. There's no flaw in this righteousness because it's the righteousness of God. And we need perfect righteousness to enjoy God forever in heaven. Why? Because God is perfectly righteous. And we have to measure up to his standard. He doesn't measure up to ours. We have his perfect righteousness through faith in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. My last point here, what is the duration of this power? How long does it last? Look at the next part, verse 17. It says, revealed from faith for faith. What, is, what does that mean, from faith for faith? Could sound kind of obscure just reading it. The Christian does not only experience the power of God unto salvation in justification. What I mean is at the very beginning, when you first believe in Jesus Christ, you experience the power of God unto salvation. And is that it? Is there no more power? You just experience it right then and there and that's it? No. The Christian continues in the power of God in the gospel from faith to faith. It's, it's meaning continual persistence. In the last part of this verse, it, I believe it proves this. It says, the righteous, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's a living, it's a walking, and it's continually by faith, and therefore it's continually in the power of God. This power of God is not just the moment you believe and then it's gone. The power of God into salvation is for, from, faith, from faith to faith continually. It doesn't stop. It doesn't evaporate. It doesn't go away. Galatians 3, 2 and 3. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If you were to continue in the flesh, then the power is gone. But Christians don't do that. Christians are to continue by the Spirit. And therefore, it requires the power of God unto salvation from start to finish. And through the Spirit's power, we are saved through and through, from start to finish. We are confident. We are bold. We are fully persuaded in God's power to save, not man's power. We can continue on, regardless of what happens in this church, Grace Community, Grace Church Austin. We can continue on. Why? Because God's word hasn't changed, his gospel hasn't changed, and his power has not changed. He is immutable. We are mutable. He is immutable. 
And we could continue on in the confidence in his gospel and his power to shame, to save. So, therefore, we can say with Paul, we are not ashamed. Not just I am not ashamed, Paul. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. While this gospel, this gospel that's the power of God and salvation, it appears weak useless, powerless to the natural eye, to the natural man. It appears weaker than the ugliest junk-looking car you can imagine. <clears throat> While that's true, it is in all actuality the mightiest, powerful thing that you can imagine. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So, in light of that reality, let us move forward proclaiming this message unapologetically, boldly, fearlessly, full of confidence, not shrinking back and compromising this gospel like many do who don't understand the power because they don't understand the gospel and believe the gospel and experience the power of God unto salvation. Believing and experiencing the power of God unto salvation helps us to be reminded of this power and it helps us to not shrink back in shame and compromising this gospel. Not being ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. So let's continue on in the gospel, in his power. Amen. Father God, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder of the gospel that it is not in our eloquence. It is not in our lofty speech. It is not in our abilities, in our persuasiveness, in our smooth talk, in the things that we create and the things that we can do. No, it is in you. Lord, help us. Help us to be fully confident in you, to boldly proclaim your gospel and believe in your truth, Lord, that you are the one who saves, you are the one who changes people, that Though we see people that are helplessly deceived in their sin, Lord, that we can confidently proclaim your good news and have confidence that your word will not come back void and you have the power to save them, Lord. We all have loved ones, Lord, that are just in total darkness and we, they can seem hopeless in our eyes, but help us be reminded that there is always hope because you are the God who saves. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder. Please help us to live in light of it. In the name of your Son, amen.